I'm Grant, an engineering and technology leader who will share the secrets of IT with you. Listen up, because we're about to get into it. Hey there, welcome back. It's time for another episode. This one's going to be on DevOps and pipelines. Uh, maybe again, I did an episode once upon a time. It was episode eight where I discussed DevOps and pipelines a little bit. I don't know if I went into all of the same material I'm going to talk about this time around, but it's a uh, fresh top of my mind because one of the things I do at work is to meet with customers of the company that I work for. And one of the topics that a lot of folks are asking me about right now is release management, change management, and DevOps. So those three things kind of go together, especially when you start talking about CICD pipelines as an inefficient way of doing DevOps. But that's the stuff we're going to talk about today. And uh, before we dive into all of that stuff, I did want to say that uh, the update cadence for this podcast hasn't been as regular as I would have liked, but that's because I got busy stuff going on at work and at home. I'm expecting baby number three. So uh, he is due in about two weeks now. So please forgive me if the next episode takes a little longer than usual uh, for me to put out. Some of you do know I also do a kids' stories podcast called Storytime with Dad. So I'll just do a little plug for that one right here. Because with baby number three on the way, I'm probably going to be doing a couple more episodes on that one as well. So please feel free to check that out if you got kiddos of your own. That's a, a kind of a hobby that I do on the side. When I'm not doing this podcast, I'm doing that other one. So stay tuned for more of those episodes. Now with a life update out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into the content for this episode. So we're going to talk about DevOps and specifically DevOps best practices. And before we start talking about DevOps, we got to get on the same playing field in terms of what language we're using. So I think um, Agile and DevOps and CICD, these three terms get thrown around a whole lot. We're going to disambiguate these guys up front. So the first one here is Agile. Agile can look like DevOps, but it is distinctly different. A team can choose to do DevOps or be Agile or both at the same time. You can pick and choose uh, what you're doing in these things, but uh, one of the things about adopting uh, Agile practices or doing DevOps is that you're never actually done doing these things. There's not a point where there's a line in the sand and you can say, oh, we're a DevOps team now because we did certain things. It's more like a continuum. You can say you are learning best practices or trying to do best practices, continually learning, getting better to be a more mature Agile or DevOps team or you know, DevOps team who is agile. But the point here is that you're never done on this journey of maturing into a better, more high performing team. You have to decide from the outset, is DevOps something that you want to march towards? But let's start with agile because, uh, you know, we got to define our terms up front. So agile is a set of values on how to behave. It's a, it's a value system at its core. You can go out to agile manifesto, org and read the whole thing if you want to. I'll go ahead and do it right now because it's really short. It's four sentences in length. We're uncovering better ways of developing software by doing it and helping others do it. Through this work, we have come to value individuals and interactions over processes and tools, working software over comprehensive documentation, customer collaboration over contract negotiation, responding to change over following a plan, that is, while there is value in the items on the right, we value the items on the left more. End of story. That's 
the entire manifesto for agile software development. All of the other stuff that you usually hear used with the term agile software development is extra stuff on top of the value system. So essentially, if you're living the value system, then you are going to be agile. It gives you the ability to quickly respond to change or changing needs of your customers or your market. And that's the whole point of agile software development is not to produce better software. It's to more rapidly change to the, the changing needs of your market. If you're living the value system, then you're going to be agile. The part where this gets a little sticky for people is cool. So I know the value system grant, but how do I live the value system? So you say individuals and interactions over processes and tools. So what does that mean? And so it gets a little challenging and now you've seen frameworks or methodologies emerge. I don't really want to get into the nuance of what the difference between a framework and a methodology is. Uh, for all intents and purposes, Scrum is one that you can adopt and Safe is one that you can adopt. And there are tons more of these ways to be agile that you can adopt. And the point of those frameworks and methodologies is that if you just do the ceremonies that are described in Scrum, then you're going to be living the value system of agile software development. That's supposed to be how it works. So do the things and then you live the value system. It's a way that you behave. Um, and it will help you produce software that is more in tune with what your customer wants more quickly. And now this has nothing to do with engineering it well or building the, the product so that it's efficient, um, scalable. All of that stuff is actually a, what DevOps is about. So let's tr go ahead and transition then into talking about DevOps. And then we'll bring this all together. DevOps is a set of practices that combine software development and IT operations. You build it, you support it. You, the developer, own your product holistically, okay? So you are talking with your customer, you're intaking the request to do work, you're figuring out how to build a scalable, reliable, and efficient application using some of the best engineering practices that you know of in the industry. And then when you're done building it, you also are the person who keeps it up and running and alive in production. So all of those things are your responsibility. It is getting rid of the silos that crop up, such as uh, like a whole operations organization. So one of the classic models here is uh, as a developer, I would build an application and then someone else would deploy that thing to the environments that I need and then someone else would keep it up and running. So I'm very abstracted away from the actual runtime of my uh, application, which is a horrible idea. I've never, that model has never made sense to me, but DevOps is an attempt to get away from that model and give the developer control of everything. Now, when you work in regulated environments like FinTech, sometimes there's risks associated with that. So you don't want your developer to have the production login keys because there's a ton of sensitive data in production that you're keeping kind of isolated. And so you got a whole nother set of issues that you've got to conquer if you're going to do DevOps in a FinTech company, but it's still able to be overcome. You can still do DevOps there. And even for some of the old behemoth companies like JP Morgan, you can still do DevOps, maybe, you know, DevOps light. You can adopt some of the best practices. That goes right back to what I said before about DevOps not being a, oh, and now we're a DevOps team, but it's a continuum of best practices that you can adopt to do DevOps. The last aspect of DevOps here that I want to talk about is the CICD pipeline. CICD stands for Continuous Integration, Continuous Delivery, or Continuous Deployment. We'll talk about that in a second here too. But it, 
CI/CD pipelines are just a helpful, repeatable way to do DevOps. If you if you can do DevOps without a pipeline, that's good. But a pipeline will make you much more efficient and standardized, so that you're not introducing manual error into the tasks that you're doing as a DevOps team. And we'll talk about CI/CD pipelines in length here. But before we move on, I really want to go back to DevOps here. And maybe you say that I'm not aware at the moment of any frameworks or methodologies for doing DevOps like I am for Agile, right? You can say, hey, we're a Scrum team, and that implies you're doing Agile software development. But I'm not aware of any way that you can say there's no equivalent to say like, hey, we're doing blah, and therefore we're a DevOps team. Uh, that doesn't really exist yet. And so when you look at DevOps, what you're really talking about is a collection of best practices for doing DevOps, such as test-driven development, or my last episode, which is trunk-based development, um, or, you know, let's talk about the testing pyramid. If you want more unit tests than service layer tests than UI tests. And these are all individual distinct topics one can talk about in the bubble of DevOps. And the more of those that you do as a development team, the more mature of a DevOps team you are. But uh, there's no framework for this as of yet in the industry. So those are the three things that we want to talk about today. And uh, to disambiguate this again, or make it a little bit simpler, if agility is how you build the right product, then DevOps is how you build the product right. And you can choose to do one or the other or both together, and you get a whole lot of value from doing them both together. I personally believe that's the best approach here, is to be an agile DevOps team to get the most out of this whole thing. And moving on, now I want to talk about a CI-CD pipeline. Let's mentally make it a, a uh, rectangle in your head and split it down the middle. On the left-hand side, we're going to talk about continuous integration. And on the right-hand side, we're going to talk about continuous delivery and continuous deployment. Okay? So on the right hand of your rectangle, split it horizontally. So you got a top and a bottom. So three rectangles. Hope this makes sense. If not, you're going to get lost, but that's fine. So we'll talk about CI, continuous integration. Basically, all this is saying is that you have automation in place so that every developer is committing their code to a shared mainline at least daily. Every time a developer does that commit, then automation is going to kick off a build of the code. It will run it through a series of quality checks. And if everything passes, everything's good, then that is going to generate an artifact that gets stored at the end of the CI part of your pipeline. If you're doing Java, that could be a jar file. It could be a war file. If uh, you're doing web services, um, let's see here. If you are doing C++ or C, you could be building a binary, an executable, all of it, or a library or a DLL. That'll get shoved into your artifact management system, such as Artifactory or Nexus is another one. Um, but the point here being a commit kicks off automation for quality, which generates an artifact. If at any point in time a quality check fails, then the whole build fails, the pull request is rejected, and the developer has to start over. Uh, you want to fix those things as soon as humanly possible because broken builds indicate a problem. And if there's a problem, why are you trying to merge your code into the shared mainline? Fix it and then do the merge. So let's say the build passes, you get your artifact. Now we can talk about continuous delivery and continuous deployment. On the top 
part. So now we're on the right side, the right half of your giant wide rectangle. On the top part is continuous delivery. Basically, this is uh, a full or a partial automation of a release management process. You've got your golden binary and you want to take that and you want to send it through to a bunch of different environments where you do different types of testing before you release it into your production environment. So let's call, let's say there are four levels of testing before you get to production. Uh, a general QA environment, say you, you put it in there, you do some manual testing, everything's good. Then you can do integration testing, which is probably integrated with some other mocked up systems um, or real systems with mock data so that you could do testing of integration with other systems. Then there's a pre-production environment where you would do your uh, acceptance testing. So maybe get some business users to use your application, see if it's working the way they expect it to, and if everything's good, then you've got a manual check and a cab process, which is a change advisory board. And right there at your cab, you're gonna get a manual, yay or nay, do we wanna put this thing in production? And then usually a manual deployment to production after that and then some level of automated smoke testing to make sure that after your deploy happened, everything is working just fine. So that's continuous delivery. Continuous deployment is fully automated. That's the bottom half of the right side of your rectangle. Maybe I'll just draw a picture and post it online somewhere. I think that would make it a whole lot simpler. But um, on the bottom, you've got a fully automated continuous deployment. There is no cab, at least not a manual cab process, and there is not a manual deployment into production. Uh, theoretically, what you could do is when a developer is done writing their code and they do their pull request and commit down on the CI half of the diagram, then the whole thing all the way up to production could be fully automated. Like you run all of your unit tests and if those pass, then you deploy automatically into some sort of an integration environment and run integration tests. And if those pass, then you deploy into a UAT environment and you could build automation to just kind of pause there until you get someone from the business to click a button and sign off and say, yeah, it looks good to me. We ran our testing and it would continue on through all the stages and automatically deploy into production. Theoretically, you could do all that and get your uh, software from your software code repository like Git or uh, Subversion, wherever you're storing your code, you could get it from there all the way into production in a matter of minutes if you wanted to. I've seen plenty of production environments or uh, sorry, companies implement a CICD pipeline that can do it fully automated end to end. Usually at the larger companies or, or heavily regulated companies, people are very uncomfortable with that because uh, there's like, they wanna feel good about their release and uh, not everybody trusts automation. It's scary to let go of control. And so you end up in the uh, continuous delivery part of the diagram where there's a manual cab process and a manual release just because it makes people feel better. But the industry has researched this. There's a book I talked about, I think, in the last uh, episode called Accelerate. I'll add another link to that one in this episode description. But basically what that book talks about is your feelings about your release don't matter. The the quality checks that you can get through automation far surpass any manual checking you would ever do on your code anyways. And so you can ensure better quality by trusting the automation over trusting a cab process or a manual check any day of the week. So for those of you who are experienced developers, I think it would be hard to, to imagine a scenario where you don't use source control uh, as the foundation of your software development platform. I think ever since I started, 
the very first thing I ever do when I'm trying to write software is get my code into source control. I don't ever write it locally on my machine, even if I'm just doing a script. It's just ingrained in me as a habit now. And that's true for a CI/CD pipeline. The foundation of the whole thing has to be source-driven automation, pushing everything into Git. In fact, there's even a, a whole thing, a whole concept here that maybe I'll do an episode on one day called GitOps. So we've got DevOps as a thing, but GitOps is really about doing all of the automation all the way back in the source control, not even having uh, a CI/CD pipeline, so to speak, uh, because at the end of the day, your pipeline is code itself anyways. So as you're building and maintaining your pipeline, it's already in source control. So you could actually just get all of your events and uh, actions performed based on what happens in your source control or in your repository, and then let automation do all of the whole rest of this end-to-end uh, -end pipeline build in, in quality checks and deployment for you. It's totally a thing outside of the scope of this episode, but something to keep in mind as you are trying to learn best practices in this field. So anyways, let's get back to the CI part of the diagram and talk a little bit about quality checks. So when a developer, regardless of your branching strategy, if you're using trunk-based development or scaled trunk-based development or some other model, it's, you know, a, a catastrophe, so to say, uh, it doesn't matter what your branching strategy is, but let's say you do your commit into your shared mainline because that's a key to this anyways, your pipeline is going to kick off some quality checks. Some of those may be linting. Some of that may be uh, like formatting. There's a tool called Prettier that does that. Uh, you could do some automated quality checking. SonarCube is a tool that exists in the market right now, and it'll check your code for what are called code smells. Uh, code smell could be an unused variable. It's like, hey, you may want to be on, on the lookout. You got some weird stuff in your code that even though they are not an issue in and of themselves, they could indicate an issue in your code somewhere. So those are code smells. Another part of the check stage could be static code analysis. SCA or static code analysis is basically the analysis you can do on software before it's been compiled into its binary or final form. Uh, some languages don't get compiled, but static code analysis is just reading the text for what it is and then making uh, an analysis based on that. So there are a ton of different tricks you can use to analyze code after it's been built that you can't do when it's been when it's in its raw source code form and vice versa. So static code analysis is one you can do early in the build process, uh, before the build process really, and uh, get some insights into how high quality your code is or not. Maybe there'd be another episode here that I talk about uh, all the tricks you can use on the compiled binaries. That would be a pretty cool one. Uh, it is a topic in and of itself but uh, I'll leave that for another time. Yeah, so SonarCube will help you do uh, SCA and some quality scanning. So when you progress through your pipeline, then the next stage could be a test stage. And in this one, you'll, you're gonna want a compiled binary or application that you can run to run it through its unit tests and see if it passes all of the quality checks there. So the unit tests are making sure that the, the functions that you have built into your application are working as expected. You could at this point in time uh, reflect and say, hey, maybe I want to do a test-driven development style of software development. That one actually works out really well. It does improve quality of applications by up to 90%. And that number may feel high to you, but that's what we have found in the industry. I believe it was Microsoft is the one that found those gains. Uh, it was between 30 and 90% for teams who did 
test-driven development, or TDD. TDD can feel boring, so when you write all of your tests up front, it doesn't feel like you're making progress on your application, but when you actually do build your application, then after you have built your unit tests first, then it's very easy because you know your application's done when all your tests pass. But it's kind of, it feels backwards, it takes some discipline, but developers actually follow TDD patterns. They report that they understand the business need that the code solves better as well. So it does take a little more time, um, 15 to 30% more time to write an application using this method. But honestly, that's probably because tests are actually getting written, <laughs> uh, which is one of the first corners that get cut when you're trying to hit a deadline and release an application quickly. So requirements are clearer, tests are getting written, and um, TDD overall is a good thing if you have the discipline and rigor to follow it properly. So that's what the test phase could do. The next phase could be a security checks, and there are tools out in the industry, check marks being one of them, that can scan your uh, application, do static application security testing, and make sure that there are no known vulnerabilities in your application that are known in the field or in the industry. So that's a very, these are all low uh, effort things that you can do to ensure that your application is high quality before you ever get to a fully built and releasable artifact. So at this point in your pipeline, you could say this artifact is good if everything is passed up to this point. You want to store that off into your artifact management system like Artifactory and then go ahead and promote it into another stage or, or environment uh, outside of your development environment that you could do maybe some service tests or integration tests on and then maybe end with some UI or journey tests. And the phases at this point in time, these could all be automated. Selenium is a good tool to use for automated UI testing. Um, you know, and then there's Mockito that you could use for Java if you're going to be mocking out endpoints and doing some integration tests. So, so the tools that you pick are up to you, but this is the part of the pipeline where you would promote up through different stages, run additional tests, and you could even have a manual stop here. I referred to it earlier as, uh, you know, you get to UAT, you do some manual testing, and if everyone is okay with how the application's performing, then there could be a button or an email or somewhere that, you know, someone replies to, and that lets the pipeline continue on to the next phase, which is the deployment phase. So all of this could be fully automated end to end, but each one of these stages is really a, you could call it a quality gate if you want to. Let's say uh, you've got static code analysis at the very beginning. If that fails, then it won't progress to the static application security testing phase. It'll just stop. It'll kill off the job. It'll let you know, hey, things aren't great. Fix it and try again. So at every single stage along this pipeline, you could let it proceed and just release something that's low quality or kind of gate it and prevent uh, an application from moving into the next stage if the previous stages haven't passed properly. So it's all, you know, single threaded in a sense, it's all synchronous and it goes like a pipeline. That's why it's called a pipeline, stage by stage by stage. Now, obviously, I don't recommend that you build and release low quality software by letting your code go through the different stages of a pipeline and just ignore errors and failures that you get along the way. I really think that you should turn on quality gates, but sometimes, especially if you're dealing with a legacy source of code, one that's been around for 20 years or 10 years or so, that was never built with quality in mind from the beginning, it can be hard to get that kind of code base through a pipeline into production with quality gates turned on. You, your jaw would drop if you saw the number of errors that I have seen in some code bases. 
uh, upwards of 10,000 errors in some of these things. Like, what do you do with that? Like, the cost of fixing all of that can be way more than the cost of just rebuilding the application from scratch. But then you've got to invest there with time and money and effort. And uh, that's not always a path that we can choose on our own, or it's not always worth the, uh, the cost-benefit trade-off there. So if you, if you can, I mean, don't compromise, but sometimes you have to. It depends on your situation. So I think uh, that's one that we have to go through on our own and decide. Is this the time that we want to invest uh, in fixing all the issues or, or not? So hopefully, when you're setting up your pipeline, you, you are also blessed with the opportunity to build your application from scratch using some best practices like test-driven development and focusing on quality from the very beginning of your application's existence and not just picking it up from something else that, that was put together hastily and thrown into production to solve a business need. Those things all exist. They're realities. But, you know, it's a lot funner if you get to build something with quality in mind from the beginning. Now, no conversation about DevOps will be complete without at least the mention of DevSecOps. DevSecOps is really development, security, and operations all combined into one. And I think at this point in time, the, the word gets a little unwieldy, right? Like DevSecOps, sure, I get that you're trying to, to bring security earlier on into the software development lifecycle. You don't have to brand something DevSecOps. Uh, you can just say DevOps and get your point across like hey grant focus on security it's like we're good um, but anyways devsecops is a term that's used in the industry and it all it really means is combining security with development and operations and maybe i'm being a little too harsh on the term i just think it's silly all the buzzwords that get created and thrown around but really security is a whole skill set in and of itself Cybersecurity is a, a whole bit of coursework that you can focus on and be a specialist in. And so maybe it does deserve a uh, seat at the table, just like development and operations does, which are two complete skill sets in and of themselves as well. So to do DevSecOps, hopefully you're focusing on quality, doing security scans, static application security testing, all of those things on your application, scanning for known vulnerabilities and fixing those and building your application with security in mind from the beginning. But if that's not your skill set, you could also have a security engineer embedded on your team as a cross-functional team. That would be another best practice to be able to do DevSecOps effectively and have them weigh in, have them do some threat modeling on your application as you build it from the ground up or maybe just threat modeling on an existing application. But you need to have those things uh, in place in order to effectively do DevSecOps. And it, all three of these things, development, security, and operations, can work together either through one individual who has all those skill sets or through multiple individuals who have a combination and are working together to build the application. So that's the CICD pipeline and some of the DevOps best practices. Now, they're embedded throughout the content that I just uh, spoke on. But I wanted to list out a whole group of best practices, and maybe you can uh, Google these on your own, or feel free to tweet me at Tweets of Grant, or email me at hello at grantdryden.com. And these could lead into other podcast episodes or a conversation that I would be happy to have with you to help you improve your environment and the, the culture and the rigor with which you do DevOps. So some of these best practices are automating everything. Tons of different ways you can go about that task, uh, but automation is key when you're doing DevOps. Source control for all change and configuration. 
we talked, we just scratched the surface really on Git ops, but there's a whole new way of using source control that maybe you're not aware of. And uh, Git ops is one. We could talk about GitHub Actions versus other types of automation. But source control is a must for a CI/CD pipeline and source-driven automation and development, as I mentioned. So that's a whole topic in and of itself. We could talk about trunk-based development. I already did an episode on that one, but uh, it's a, an important best practice as well. We can talk about isolated environments and development production parity. You basically want to have all of your environments look like one another. It's no good for you as a developer if you're promoting your code up through, through environments that aren't looking or behaving like the next one that you're about to go to. There's a whole bunch of stuff we could talk about that, but you want your environments to look the same. There is the topic of continuous integration, continuous development, and continuous deployment. We touched on those a little bit in this episode. We could talk about test-driven development. Again, talked a little bit about that one, but there are more nuances with that that we can dive into. The testing pyramid is a topic or best practice. Creating and versioning artifacts. There's a, there are good ways to go about that. Some ways are better than others. That can be context dependent, but there's a topic and a best practice you can Google or look at. Feature flags and dark launches. That's a fun topic, uh, but you can Google some of those things as well. And then proactive monitoring and ownership of change. Monitoring is actually a really cool topic that comes up, especially in the context of site reliability engineering. That's a whole discipline uh, and train of thought that you can Google. Ironically, it came from Google. But um, that's one that's very interesting to me because a lot of the applications and tools that I've built are running on Kubernetes clusters. So there, that has its own whole world associated with it, and we'd love to dive into that. But I hope this gives you a list of some of the topics that you may want to go out and Google and learn a little bit more about. And uh, like I said, if you're interested in any of those topics in particular, just let me know. I'd be happy to do an episode on them. So at its core, DevOps is really about culture change. It's also about rigor and discipline and engineering. Everybody that I have ever met wants to buy a tool that will just do the stuff for them. I want it to write their unit tests and maybe someday we're going to get to the place where AI can build your own unit tests or your own code for you. We are actually, ironically, I wasn't thinking about this, but we're approaching that pretty rapidly. If you haven't heard about it, you should research GitHub Copilot. Uh, it's a fascinating tool. I don't think it's the uh, career ender for software developers. I think we're going to be employed for a good long time, but um, that just popped into my mind right now as I'm recording. So I wanted to mention it. Another topic you can Google, but ultimately DevOps is about culture change. And when we're talking about culture change, it's about behavior change. So you're not going to get the tools to that will do your unit tests for you. You're not going to get automation that's going to build high quality software. We can automate things and stack the deck in your favor that the code that you're releasing is high quality, but ultimately you have to do the work. You have to think about what business problem is your code solving. And then when you write your tests, it has to test some functionality of your application. And if you do a good job analyzing your application and your business flow, then your unit test coverage will be high in terms of not just code coverage, but I'm talking about business logic coverage because you could write I don't know, 100 unit tests that cover 100% of your code theoretically and still not actually test the functionality that uh, is associated with your code because there is probably emergent behavior associated with the application you're building. 
So this is getting a little deeper than I wanted to go on this topic, but the point being that it's kind of like diet and exercise. That's the analogy we use at work a lot. There's no weight loss program that you can participate in that is going to make you lose weight. You have to put in the effort. It's how hard you go at that program is going to dictate your results. And DevOps is the same thing. You can do it with rigor and discipline and get great results or do it uh, kind of like half-heartedly. And maybe you'll get okay results, maybe not. Uh, but you, it, it will give you whatever you put into it. That's what you get out of it. So diet and exercise is what DevOps is about. Now, we just covered a ton of information in about a half hour. I have learned the more of these episodes that I have put out that when I explain a topic like CICD, a lot of people tell me I do a good job of explaining things to them, but then they ask follow-up questions and I realize just how much more I can go into. So I hope this was a good high-level summary and um, tons of more information that we could dig into. So please engage with me on Twitter and email and let me know what parts of this thing were interesting to you, which ones you would love to talk more about. But I appreciate you listening to this episode. And on that note, it seems like a good place to end the podcast. So thank you for listening. Remember, I've got uh, two weeks here, and then we'll be introducing a new member of the family. So I'll be around, but maybe not as regular on my next episode update. But I'll still be tweeting at you and responding to emails. So thank you for engaging with me. And uh, I will drop into the episode description some of the topics and, and links to like the book Accelerate and probably my story time with Ad podcast. I'll drop those into the description so you can go peruse those at your leisure. And I will see you again next time.